This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Welcome to the final Conversations with Eliza, your unofficially official next podcast. Tonight, we're talking about the two-part series finale, episodes 9 and 10. Episode 9, or Next File 9, was written by M. Raven Metzer and Adam Simon and directed by Brad Turner. Episode 10 was written by Manny Cotto, the series creator, and Adam Simon, and it was directed by Adam Arkin, that actor-turned-director, back for his second episode this season. Oh man, what a two-hour blockbuster finale! Explosions, finales, epilogues. We had it. We had it all tonight. What did you guys think? Racists, bombs, <laughs> abuelas. <laughs> Abuela like knocked out in the back seat. I, I don't know. know. They gave her. They gave her some kind of ambient or something to make her go that to was sleep. Bad. That was bad. Oof. What is what is it about the end of the world that sends some idiots just out on the road, just ready to loot right away? We're gonna gang up and start knocking cars and shit. Like, who are these people that know to organize in this fashion? As soon as the world goes to shit, it happens in every post-apocalyptic story. They like. We better band together and start fucking people up because that's the way to do things. You know what Time I mean? to go get that TV. You know, or I don't know. I mean, maybe it's in, maybe it's like a primitive thing. Like you have to like thin the herd so there's more resources for you. And then also, I would say like a gathering thing too, like a hunter gathering thing, right? In that primitive way, like where you want to run out and gather all the supplies you can get for your tribe. Here's a message to all you would be looters who are going to stand in front of my car. I will break because it is still a reflex from the civilized time, the before time. But then I'll remember what's going on and what you want to do to me. And I will run your ass over. I will leave your broken corpse in the behind me. I don't care how many are in front of me. I will just keep going. I was literally screaming at my television. Go, go, press the fucking gas pedal. Go. <laughs> I said like, the same I, thing. I was like, run them over. It's fine. Just go. They're they made their choice. They're smashing yeah. in to try to get your mom and your kid. It's go time. Here, here's, here's an easy test for you guys. When people either smash your window and or begin climbing on your car, that's it. it's time to go. I think yeah, <laughs> it, that's, that's just an easy bright line test. We've exceeded know. our time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she waited. She waited about seven seconds too long before hitting the old gas pedal and knocking bitches over. I mean, if this was like a DMV thing and I had a clipboard, I'd been like, mm, you know, marking shit off, like didn't run over looters. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Caroline, what do you think about them cutting back and forth to the speech? The same speech that opened the series. Was that a nice bookend for you and the information we heard him talking about tonight as it related to the episode? It was a good callback because it reminded us how much that Paul was very competent in this entire adventure. He always knew what this machine was capable of. He had been warning people. And it was good to like remind the audience that like, hey, remember, he started off by warning everyone what was going to happen. And so, you know, I, he always felt like the one who was most likely to have to go toe to toe with next, like go, be able to go down with the ship because he understood the level of impact that this machine could have. And really no one else did. As much as Shay or Abby or anybody else would like to pretend that they did, Shay was like frantic and upset, but Paul was always just like solidly understanding the ramifications, which is which is different, I think. I got to tell you, I loved how the episode started with him talking about the Robert Williams because I looked it up and that was actually a real 
death, Robert Williams killed January 25th, 1979, is thought to be the first human killed by a robot. Uh, he was working at the Ford Motor Company Flat Rock casting plant. I, I like the fact that the show kind of brought in the reality again and used it with his dire warning. I thought uh, the coming AI Holocaust was really strong, provocative language, but also seeing what Next was capable of seemed kind of right on the nose. I've heard that 41 years later that the robots that work in the Amazon fulfillment centers are not much smarter. If you get in their way, they will they will act like you're a looter and I'm a driver and they will just <laughs> run you over. So I guess uh, we still have some headway to make <laughs> in, in smartening up the robots. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to end a, both a series and a season is to take us back to those, those opening moments and flesh out uh, the fuller context of what he didn't get to say the first time around to finish out the, the full commentary. I mean, I think it's an interesting concept. I mean, what you just said about the Amazon robots, the show kind of posits, or at least through Paula Blanc posits that it's actually not the robot's fault. It's humanity's inability to have a word to describe goodness such that we could program a robot for it. The idea that there, you know, the robot didn't stop working for what, 30 minutes after Robert Williams was killed, it just kept going. It, it's not it's not cold-blooded, it's not warm-blooded, it's not loving, it's not it's not uh, malicious. It just is and that's a failing of us that we're making we're making something we ultimately can't control because we can't describe to ourselves the idea of goodness what'd you think of that because that's kind of a philosophy caroline what'd you think of that being uh, maybe a message of the show I would even finish out the statement that you were just about to say. It was like on the tip of your tongue there when you was like, we can't control a machine because ultimately we can't control humanity. And that's sort of a lot of what we saw in this entire show was people doing something that was unexpected. That was like, wait a minute, you 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 act like this or this happened and Ben did that and, you know, whatever. So the idea that we can control a machine that we program would imply that we have the ability to control ourselves or others, which we don't. So I feel like that was like another layer and topic and theme to the show which kind of actually is a great segue to ben and ben's father may he rest in power and the idea again of this we can control it Th this idea the the hubris of man uh, you know and, and even making it almost like a patriotic thing that we think we could control this thing Fur it's infuriating at least to me anyway to, to to see like nsa officials to see uh you know terrence wilson ben's father talking about this thing that you know, it's almost it like putting your head in the sand. The willful desire to ignore all of these calamities happening and just chalking up to coincidences is infuriating, but also seems very real. It almost seems like something that a government would actually do. Paul, was Ben sufficiently cowed? Was he sufficiently repentant for you for ratting out the team and being throwing in with his father? Ultimately, I think I, I probably came down the same way as Shay. Like, ultimately, I think she understood it, but she couldn't, she wasn't going to kill him for it, but she didn't want him around either. I think I could probably rationalize that if I was in her position and needing, needed to deal with this guy. I don't know if he was repentant enough for, for me, but I, I would have understood why he did it. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't flinch, she doesn't shake, she doesn't hesitate when she pulls the gun on him. When she says, if Nex doesn't kill you, I will, if he gets back involved, I fucking believed her. Like, I, you know, her finger was on the trigger. She wasn't, I don't think she was bluffing. Caroline, did Ben's storyline uh, end up fulfilling enough of the parent-family 
aspect that we were just talking about in episode eight that we really hadn't gotten with Ben by the end of his story tonight. Uh, really episode eight, because I don't think we saw him uh, in episode nine. We didn't see him in episode 10, I don't think. Did it fill the family line that we kind of saw everyone else go through or almost everyone else go through? I think from the standpoint of that loyalty to a fault to your own family members, you know, even when you know that this is probably not the right thing you should be doing. I mean, they really played out a really similar role with CM. I mean, they're like following, you know, up to a point, but it's like CM took a stand and, and broke away and Ben didn't and continued to be loyal to a fault. You know, I think in a situation like this, it's like once you join a group of people like that and, and you are in it, I kind of just wish that Ben would have bowed out. Like if this is the way that he felt like things were going, he should have just like left the group, I guess. But once you become that situation where you're being like a spy or a mole... Who the hell is supposed to have any compassion for you? There's no amount of repenting, you know, like if you had to be loyal to your dad, I mean, he if he didn't want to do it, he could have extricated himself from the situation. Do you know what I mean? Oh, sure. So it's like he's he put himself in that spot. There is no amount of repenting about it. Honestly, his defense is I thought originally, uh, you know, he was doing the right thing. Like he was riding out the team because he thought he was doing it kind of up the chain of command at work or he blames at least the death of Mathis. But the, the, them all screaming in his face, didn't you see what this thing did? And again, and this idea, like you guys work in cyber crime, you, 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 we few, like you see what this thing is doing more than anyone else. You're not like the NSA bureaucrat who just wants to file his TPS reports and, and ignore the actual threat. Like you see literally what this thing is doing. It blew up your boss. It blew up your building. It put out an Amber Alert that you, Ben, had to stop and be involved in stopping so that Ty wasn't arrested for having Ethan. I found him kind of uh, a very big worm. You have, to, you have to eventually not look for the sucker of your daddy's teat and to make yourself feel better. You, you, know, so you have to kind of sack up and have your own and be your own man was kind of my feeling. Well, and that's what I mean, where it's like their stories were parallel, like CM and Ben's in the whole like blindly just going along with something that your dad told you to do and then being like, wait a minute, no, if you're CM versus Ben who's like, well, I'm just going to keep going. That's what makes him the, the jerk, you know? Yeah. And Mike's dad has teats. He does. He does. My dad, my dad is a male seahorse and carried me and and gave loving and gave loving uh, birth to me many moons ago. Oh man. Have you ever seen slow mo footage of that? That is some gross shit, man. I mean, your, your porn preferences are your own Paul and we don't need to get into that on this. I didn't mean to judge. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love it when it's in slow mo. Yeah. Look at you seahorse go. Since you brought up CM character, Caroline. I did. My heart broke for him a little bit in this episode because in so many ways, everything he did, all of the heartache, the traitor of Rock Ridge, everything he put himself through, no small part of which was losing his wife and son, ended up being kind of for nothing because she didn't leave. She didn't take Cody and go. She was there with the brother-in-law. They were in the exact same position they were in before he sacrificed himself. More teeth sucking more teat sucking uncle weird uncle racist teat sucking at this point you know it makes sense that she went back to family it's unfortunate that her family was so toxic and terrible i understand what he wanted i'm sorry for her and the the kiddo but it's probably what happens nine out of ten times he said it was all set up and she goes sure great and go live with no family around no support no friends 
that's what she needed. She needed support. She well, my, so my, my feeling on her was that she made a choice that if she really thought it was a toxic atmosphere for Cody to grow up in, she would have taken CM up on what he had set up for her, but that she took she took the easier choice and continue to live in the toxic world that she probably grew up herself in, but continuing the cycle now with Cody having those same kinds of feelings. Yeah. Well, know? and similar, the Ben, same deal. Easier choice. Easier choice not to have to stand up to your dad. It's just easier. I, for one, was glad that that there was no hint of any kind of rekindled spark between the two, even during like the first aid scene. Uh, that could have happened and would have been so shitty if it had because uh, <laughs> because yeah. it just uh, I don't know it just wouldn't have matched what I wanted for CM which wasn't to to feel I mean I can appreciate the idea of feeling responsible for her safety a little bit because you did put her in this spot and you were married and all this you have a kid and all that other stuff but you know she like you said Mike she threw away her shot basically but but at the same on the other hand i agree with you and i'm glad that they didn't go that way because that's the obvious choice right now now you make a love triangle does he go with gina does he go with the wife you know but uh so i'm happy that he didn't choose that path i think that would have been the easier writing but i was happy that it seemed like the door was kind of reopened for him to have a relationship with cody that maybe he's not so old and jaded at this point that he hadn't been indoctrinated for so long as to be too far gone that of course though made it extra sad when cm had to say goodbye again right because he's going to go on the run for some period of time after this is all said and done as to not bring heat down upon them. That's more that tough talk was he only said that shitty stuff to his dad because Ray was watching. It's only a matter of time before you get in the habit of saying shitty stuff where that's the way you think, but he's not there yet. Oh my God. When he said, I, I only watched, I watch his YouTube videos, but when he goes to bed, I watch other stuff that would make his head explode. It made me laugh out loud. I thought that was really funny. And, and like a total kid thing also, uh, let's talk about CM and Gina. Caroline, is this is this romance something you're shipping? Are you behind this? Is there no place for it in next in this show? Is, is too much time spent on him being a worry wart for her worry wart for her safety? I can see. I mean, if we had a season two, I could definitely see the two of them working together on you know some adventures. You know, Gina and CM back again, kind of action. But it, it makes sense to me that he was consistently asking about her because I think that he had the least amount of information. In that group, you know, like Shay knew more of what was going on. Paul knew more of what was going on. He didn't have as much info. So what maybe looked like worrying was sort of just more like trying to just keep up, I guess. We got to see them, right? They are together in the epilogue because they're working on their next conspiracy website. So and I was happy to see that in the epilogue that they were continuing the fight. You know, the Justice for Salazar website scenes that were that were watching almost like they're setting up kind of like an anonymous um, yeah. you know, like when they were popular a couple of years ago. Um, so, so I like that. I, all in all, I think it was worth it to me. What about you, Paul? Is, was this a romance worth spending time on at any point during the series? Just the way that she despised him at the beginning, you could see this if it had been a multi-season show coming to some fruition at some point, just, you know, the moment we see them at the end in the epilogue, we see them working together, but we don't see anything else. We don't see like rings or handholding or even a lot of even looking at each other or anything. They're just tolerating being next to each other, which is better than they were at the beginning, which is appropriate for a single season arc that started the way it did. Talking about Gina made me realize that there was a question I had left for Paul, uh, a Paula Blanca question left over. 
is he justified to keep his plan that he had planned on Gina being arrested and sacrificed that he knew she would get pinged so, so fast when she uploaded the virus? Obviously, he kept that because, as he predicted, they would have said it's too dangerous to sacrifice Gina or not worth the cost to sacrifice Gina, or he was worried about that being the excuse. Is that a justified thing for him to withhold? Or does that make him kind of an untrustworthy asshole again, you know, not being a team player? What do we think? I think it kind of sucks that, you know, when he puts himself out there, he has the panic room stairwell out. When he puts someone else out there, he's cool with them getting snatched, like, immediately. That part was kind of like, really, Paul? Like, you couldn't give her any out or even an attempted out? Or even a choice. She might have chosen the same path. Right. Let her know. Like, this is this is what is the likely outcome. I just didn't like it, especially, especially because we had had him in a similar situation where he had the secret passageway out. So it was sort of like, dude. I think the only devil's advocate I would play to that is that he understood the system enough that he knew nothing bad would actually happen to her other than being detained. Though That being said, I mean, I guess they were planning on blowing up the building. So there was a, a, a <laughs> safety concern there, but she was aware of the plan of building, blowing up the building. So I guess that wasn't a surprise, but maybe she, she assumed she'd be able to get out of the building. Uh, just devil's advocate wise, I don't think he thought he was putting her in any harm other than the annoyance of being detained. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want I don't want anyone putting me in a situation where I have to be sitting in the insulated soundproof steel room. Like, fuck all y'all for putting me in that situation. If this is a pod clubhouse situation where y'all like, oh no, we knew you were gonna get caught and you were but you're just gonna be detained well, I would kill you all. I think it was kind of drawing a, a nice parallel with the way that the machine would have treated a person and making Paul think that same way, asking us to, to consider, is that okay to fight the machine on its own level? But, but I also think it's consistent with how Paul LeBlanc is, though. I think it's actually a pretty consistent character trait that he only gives out as much information as he needs to obtain the goals that he has decided the group should obtain, you know, because yeah. because look at how he's treated Abby their right. entire Come to life, lunch. right? I'll steal your DNA. <laughs> right, right, exactly. He always has an ulterior motive and he only gives out the information as he deems it, you know, fit. You know, it's the, I think, Caroline, you said the last episode, you know, Paul operates on a need to know basis with everything and everyone. And he had decided, you know, on behalf of the group that no one needed to know what was actually going to happen to Gina. It kept making me think of actually Shay at the beginning of episode eight in the interrogation room talking about how it turned out Paul LeBlanc had one more thing to play and didn't tell any of us and also next did also i think we actually we actually got to watch that play out tonight but it kept making me think of how shay sees paul that he never gives you the full story he only gives you as much of the story as he deems that you need to have which is infuriating you know it's definitely a big character flaw what did you guys think of abby going to snatch ty and ethan i think it was kind of ballsy of her to show up and be like hey baby you know i can convert my new zealand ticket into four tickets i'd call it abby's part i mean i guess there's an altruistic aspect to it but also it was like hey you know you're not talking to your wife maybe i've got a degenerative disease but i'm good to go in the meantime i don't know i thought it was kind of weird the whole time that she's been in the bunker she has been looking for some way to be used Useful. Every time they show her, she's a little bit like, um, remember in Lost, the log carriers? 
they were just the extras and that was their job yeah. on the beach was to move logs from one end of the set to the other. Yeah, lusty red shirts. I mean, they were basically lusty red shirts. Basically, sure. yeah. And she was stuck doing that same thing, just sorting various techno junk or whatever. Even when she wanted to help, she was kind of rebuffed a little bit by her dad. And, and even even though she was helpful, but ultimately she didn't have a, a real role to play in this action hero part. You know, what's she going to do in the bomb factory, right? This was how you keep her on the board and kind of useful. They didn't have any way to contact Ty and say, really, it's a better idea if you if you get on the move than than hold up here. I'm being a little facetious. I think I think we it figured. was consi- I, I, it was consistent with kind of. I mean, she even says to Shay, like, I can go get them. Like, let me be kind of useful. Again, geographically, I was like, I don't understand how far away his family's house is, and how come everything's like a hop, skip, and a jump away. Um, that part was confusing. I do very much subscribe to the idea that the only way to get Abby to take care of herself and be safe was to actually put her in charge of other people and make sure they're safe. And so she kind of accidentally accidentally keeps herself safe so in a way that was like a good way to kind of play with that character make her in charge of a couple of other people and then she actually would go to the island and do what she was supposed to do as opposed to if it was just herself she wasn't gonna go so i think that was a cool way to kind of force her hand i assume they went I assume they went. I assume they also went. Six months later, she's back in town. So they went there for some period of time anyway. Um, And obviously, Ty and Ethan were back in town to visit mom in jail. Let's back up, though, one second, because I was a little taken aback that Ty finally snapped, really for the first time, when Ethan, as only a kid can do, says, (laughs) we should have stayed with mom. And Ty, I mean, he whips his head around like like he was fucking exorcist possessed. He was like, ah, enough with that bullshit. I'm doing the best I can kind of thing. Well, you know, was he finally feeling like some some regret on his decision here you think i think it's fair i i can't stand when kids act like that and i'm like the first one to be like we're not saying things like that kids have a way of just kind of like blurting out whatever and it doesn't make it factual it was best that a little kid wasn't at the bunker anymore it's fine that they moved away from shay Given all that happened with Ben and everything, things could have gotten really nasty and bad. There could have been a shootout between Shay and Ben. Like, bad shit could have gone down over there. They kept coming out. (laughs) And, like, where would they have been hanging out exactly? Like, you know, Shay took off and went off with CM and stuff. Like, there's a lot of moving parts that, like, had his corner. It's right. Everyone already had their areas. (laughs) So, you know, they, Abby was taking care of the shuffling paper. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what else were they going to do? So it's fine to move them away. I just was like, okay, kiddo. He was such a smart kid. I kind of wish he had said some other things. I kind of wish that he had not just been sort of, I don't know, it sounds sad to kind of just say like so typical of a, of a kid because I know we're, we were kind of praising the very normalcy of the writing, but I don't know. I wish there was something else than just complaining like that just felt like kind of a bummer way for Ethan's character to sort of like make the exit not being in a bunker was a good move, right? What are they going to do? Go to a, a crazy Uncle Ray, the racist house, and help build bombs? You know, or, they, or they're or they going to wind up with Abby? Maybe anyway. Maybe the right, maybe they're at the bunker. They're like, oh, well, we'll send you all to New Zealand kind of thing because we have to get you, all you civilians off of the board. Hindsight, I think you're right. I think it was actually the right move to not be with Shay. Uh, so it was more of like a Greek course, but Ty didn't know that. Ty, Ty only knew looters were coming in and Abuela's freaking out and shit's getting real down in where, wherever magic location they, where they were They don't at. even know where his dad is. 
<laughs> you're very concerned about his dad but uh yeah so i mean but you can see from ty's point of view should is going sideways he had just talked to shay and she sounded kind of fine so you could think in ty's head maybe i should have gone maybe i have made a colossal mistake here and have actually put ethan in harm's way so when ethan actually voices that out loud it's like his worst fears come true he's already boarded up like 17 windows his arms killing him <laughs> yeah i mean he's swinging a hammer that perfect plywood that they had stacked up last episode the same way like abby appears in the back seat of paul's car you you know kind of voicing his inner ego his inner subconscious you actually have ethan real life ethan kind of voicing ty's like worst fears i thought that was a nice little parallel of like these kids voicing like their parents concerns for them so continuing episode from episode eight, we see a lot more of Natalie in this episode, and we actually eventually get her to team up with Gina. I was happy with Natalie. I think I think this actually was a pretty great character as it turned out. I think my only worry was that I wish we had met her earlier because I would have liked to seen her skills more. Like she was someone willing to believe and not just accept the easy answer. She she was someone who was willing to look at the difficult answer that there is something wrong here. Something weird is happening. I don't know what, but something weird is happening. You could almost see like a, a backstory for her that involves being probably some kind of overachiever, very young, and it's unusual that she would have been assigned to be like the boss's right hand, but she's just that good. But she's also much more open-minded than everyone else around her. She's not as jaded as her boss or anyone else. And so that makes her the perfect person to have seen this pattern and reconcile that with what's going on in the world and kind of tie that together. And I guess I just you know, made up that head cannon for her uh, so to, to have that make sense for me because she she did want to play ball right away with, with Gina. Well, it matched her facts, right? She she strikes as the kind of person who is like very fact-oriented. So she had a bunch of question marks that just overhearing a little bit of Gina's story as she's being dragged away fit all, uh, or not all, but most of her, you know, square holes, Gina's story had like pegs to go in all of those kind of spots. I like that she was there and she was listening. I agree with you. I think that the fact that she was a junior analyst allowed her to have the ability to think big. You know, I think there's something where everyone in every job, eventually, if you rise high enough, you stop wanting to take risks. You just want to do the easy thing. And she was a junior analyst, so she wasn't so jaded, right? She could take the big risks. She could look at the things happening in the world, blackouts here, water power grids going down there, and make the connections that someone more senior is not going to want to because they're worried about their job, they're worried about their status, their their seniority. You know, I think she was kind of young, young and hungry enough in the job to be willing to take those risks. How about you, Caroline? Were you happy with uh, the introduction of Natalie and her team up with Gina as it played out in the episode? We badly needed someone to come in for Gina because, I mean, she was literally and figuratively just hands tied. Like, where where could her storyline really go when she was inside that room? So um, I'm, I'm thankful that the character was introduced so that we could spring Gina and kind of turn the tide with the entire supervisor's thinking there because he was like, he was not, nothing was going to happen. Like we kind of got to like a stalemate, you know, with that such like they were just going to hold her. Nothing was really going to happen. So I'm glad she came in on the scene. There was a scene when they were both sitting on the floor by the, by the servers that I was thinking like, what an unlikely duo here. Like I was not 
picturing it at the end of the day to be Gina sitting here and then a girl that we just had met just a couple moments ago. If you had asked me, like, let's put money on, like, who are the last two kind of sitting in front of next in a lot of ways? I I, I don't think I would have physically put those two there. Yeah, you wouldn't have seen it coming. Mm -mm, Not at all. When she says to her boss's boss, you don't want to be that guy, the one who refused to sound the warning about Chernobyl before it blew up, it actually was a very Gina-esque kind of line. So personality-wise, sass-wise, you know, smart women who are willing to speak truth to power-wise, I think that line actually said a lot about her. And we already already kind of seen her intelligence level just in episode eight, putting together she, that she was able to track down the lag and coming from the server. So when she said that, I was like, oh yeah, her and Gina are going to get along great. You know, they're going to be like <laughs> one-line zingers, you know, and and being able to do the work, you know, the, the smart work while being kind of compatible. But of so, all of our teammates, did you peg Gina to be the one sitting there at the end of the day. I'm not saying that we necessarily saw it to be Shay or necessarily to be anyone else, but Gina in particular, going back to episode one, did y'all have your eyes on her? Would you have thought it might be CM sitting there on the floor? Who did you think was going to be sitting there? Well, we never really got a full picture of Gina's skill set. Like, why was she on the cybercrime team? She said she was a programmer. That was part of her background. But that was just introduced in these last couple of episodes. But I was just unsure exactly. Do you get what I mean, though? Like, forget if you even know their backgrounds. Like, who did you expect to be the one they sent in? I think I think I probably would have pictured CM prior to him having to go deal with the truck bomb, right? Having to go revisit his story, his family story, which I liked. I mean, I liked that we kind of closed the loop on that because it was introduced, again, the show did a great job all season of the stuff introduced early. They came back to almost all of it in some kind of way and tied up a loose end to some extent, which I appreciate it because you don't get that a lot uh, from shows that shows that have been renewed, let alone a show that hasn't been renewed. They actually did a great job of tying up a lot of loose ends. So I was happy that CM, he probably would have been the one, right? He's the logical choice, the expendable one, known, the quote unquote expendable one. If you're going to go maybe put yourself in harm's way at the NSA and obviously has the hacking skills. Way too conspicuous, though, with all the tats. Sure. Yeah. So I think he's the obvious choice until he has to go do the the car, uh, the truck bomb building stuff. And then Gina obviously makes sense, right? This was her big moment. This was her James Bond moment to show off her skills. Um, so I was happy we got to see it. I think it would have opened up an interesting uh, plot line for her uh, in a season two where we would have seen her more actively being a badass at the computer, clicking, clacking, you know, away. For me, that was the hint of her and CM, that shot of them at the end in the epilogue. For me, that was the the joy, the promise there was what would this have played out in a season two? You know, something I definitely want to, you know, talk to Manny about, so. Going back to you guys' interview with Eve, it's interesting to try to reconcile her character and how, like you said, sassy she constantly is and kind of that evil look that she gives a lot of the time and then take that story that she loves to bake for her friends and she rides her bike around town delivering like muffins and cookies and stuff to her <laughs> friends. It's just, can, can you picture Gina? She's a great actress, right? In that <laughs> regard, that she can, she can portray that, that side. But yeah, I don't think it's an evil look. I think it's like a, I think she's got like an edgy look to, to herself with All her right, Gina persona. Not evil, persona. but a, a no bullshit look. Yeah, definitely no bullshit. All right, someone, someone who admires the objective 
objectives of Bernadine Dorn, right? And it's someone who admires what Weather Underground was trying to do with their domestic terrorism of the 70s. I think that was actually pretty well established, the the kind of punk rock Gina, kind of like an anarchist within the system. And I, I think that's actually almost probably a source of chemistry between her and CM, that these are people who are okay with stepping over the line to the dark side, as it were, but with righteous aims as they see them. You know, maybe not how we see them, maybe not how we agree, but they believe in in what they're doing and the path that they're taking, whether it's working for the FBI cybercrime unit or whether it's betraying your racist brotherhood for your family's sake, you know, or the hope of your family's sake. You know, they're willing to kind of dance over the line to, to achieve the ends that they think are important, which I think is something Ben wasn't able to. I think Ben was never able to, just doing parallels again, I think Ben was never able really to commit to the dark side of breaking laws in order for the greater good. The idea of the greater good for Ben never really took hold. And I think his father's appeal to the greater good never really convinced Ben. He was always in kind of this limbo spot. I think Gina and CM, one of the things they had in common, and obviously Shay, were that they were willing to do bad things for the greater good. I mean, we know that CM betrayed his people or whatever, but there's a fair chance that he always kind of stuck out in the same way that Gina sticks out in the FBI. She's not Dana Scully. <laughs> you know, she's she's Gina. She's she's does listen to punk rock and that kind of stuff. And there's a fair chance CM was that same person in the Aryan nation or whatever he was until he made his choice. So that I hadn't thought of it that way, but that <laughs> that maybe that underlying iconoclastic sort of um, persona that they didn't appreciate about each other is why they're drawn to each other. And it makes sense why they would be working and they'd probably be well, able to work together on a Justice for Salazar kind of compiling all, you know, they've got the intelligence, they've got the idea of the greater good, the greater good being that Shay. Uh, it's so dispiriting to hear only 19% of people believe the AI attack was the real cause of the NSA bombing. And, and you know, clearly in the epilogue, Shea is, Shea is being portrayed as a domestic terrorist. That is the story that the news is running with. Clearly, it's the story the government is running with because they don't want to admit what they did. Something like an anonymous level website that they're setting up is going to be needed if they're ever going to kind of rehabilitate Shay and or get the truth out there. You know, the truth is out there. I think I think the last thing we really have to talk about is Paul LeBlanc. Are, you know, there there was a lot of stuff about him in this episode, not only having to let go of Abby when, you know, her statement of, you know, you have to stop controlling me. The idea that maybe he was doing a double deal with Next. Was he going to betray the team ultimately to save his daughter and save himself? You know, was he was he buying what Next was selling about this cure? Caroline, did you ever doubt Paul being a good guy that we kind of had hoped him to be? Was there a shadow of was there a was there a creeping thought that he may take next deal and betray the team? Ooh, I I I don't feel like I fully embraced the idea that he would betray the team because I think he just understood too clearly the the much bigger threat and he didn't seem like the type of person who would ultimately put himself before the rest of the group, mainly because I just don't think he would trust the machine to do that. And he, I mean, several times he was like, yeah, you're going to have to show me more proof than that, like that kind of thing. Because, yeah, I mean, he didn't trust the machine and that was smart and fair. I did feel like it was more about Abby and more about like, if there is a cure and could save Abby, ooh, I mean, as parents, all three of us, 
that starts yanking on like, I don't want to look at it as a betrayal, but more of like a wanting to care for your kids. You know, like that, that is where I got a little nervous about him. That's so driven to the desire to save her from the disease that he is suffering from. And someone who values their mind, the idea that your mind is kind of being eroded, like that would have overrode his understanding of what was actually at stake here for humanity. What if you could save thousands of people or Tom? Well, you every time you're going to save Tom and, and same right. with us, right? Every time you're going to save your own kids. So this was like kind of that situation. It was like you could save a bunch of people who are definitely going to have horrible situations happening over here or you could save your own kid. I mean, that is a really difficult decision. And that was the only thing that's the only string next could pull that I worried could could make Paul do something different. Now, I don't know when they decided on this ending. I don't know if they decided on this ending when they weren't renewed or if Paul was always going to be the sacrificial lamb here at the very end. I don't know. I felt like it from the beginning. I said I felt like he had hero written all over him and that sacrificing kind of moment was going to come, but I don't but I but I think you could have switched it up depending on if you got a season 2. Yeah, one of the questions I definitely have for Manny is, did they have to redo any of the ending uh, the way they presented it uh, once they knew they weren't going to be renewed? If, if they did that or if, it, if that's just how they shot it, because and I'll, I'll kick this question to Paul. I think Caroline raised it just now, uh, maybe by accident. Do you believe Paul LeBlanc is actually dead? You know, the, there wasn't a lot of time for him to have gotten out of there. There, there was like TV magic time that if they wanted a season two, he could have. The whole premise of John in, in uh, Person of Interest is is built around him having escaped the unescapable, <laughs> right? The little bit at the end with, see, Abby being invited to attend the um, sleep study in Sri Lanka, um, of an endowment being tied to that if she, if she goes, all that stuff. There wasn't enough time. If there wasn't enough time for him to run away, there certainly wasn't enough time to set that up, having just learned about the Sri Lankan sleep study moments before the explosion. I don't know. It's kind of one of those weird uh, Dark Knight Rises kind of moments, right? Is Bruce Wayne still alive? I don't know. Um, I'm, I think so. I think so. Just laying super low. Convalescing, using his money to convalesce somewhere, you know, paying people that aren't going to like notice him or ask questions. Maybe, maybe his uh, his house cleaning lady, uh, who we haven't seen in a couple episodes, who is so devoted to him and not leaving the house. Maybe he's like sequestered her away to some kind of, uh, you know, rehabilitation facility. Here's the thing, and one thing I noticed that I thought was odd when he runs out of the van, right? The security guys kind of run off because they take his threat seriously, and they run off away from the building. Paul runs into the building. Yeah. He does. Which made me think, did this, because remember, he had the blueprints of the facility. He, he knew where all did. the rooms were. It started making me wonder, did he recognize some kind of panic room or some kind of fire stairs? Something that would be insulated against a blast, at least to some extent, where maybe he doesn't walk out unscathed, but maybe he walks out alive. Entirely possible. I mean, like the, the server room at the place I used to work was hurricane proof. I didn't work at the NSA. <laughs> you know, I just worked at an oil company, but we had a hurricane-proof server room. Right. And they made a whole lot of like, this is just a building. It's got normal security, but it's not a normal building. The NSA is not going to just build a normal building where it's putting this billion dollar technology and housing it there. It's going to put in redundancies to protect it from 
the things that you imagine can never, you know, the improbable statistically possible things that are not likely to happen. You imagine the NSA is going to spend, spend some of its budget on that kind of thing. And having installed a, a panic room before, uh, he might recognize <laughs> telltale signs on, on a blueprint. The building goes out this far, but there's nothing marked on the blueprint of what that could be in that space. Yeah, so the the running into the building made me cock in my head before the explosion even happened. I thought it was weird because human instinct says, run away from the building, run away from the building. But that's not what he did. He <laughs> ran into uh, the building. So I, I am I'm on Team Alive because he just found out about the Sri Lankan test yeah, on uh, his drive study. there. On his drive there, he only had just found out about it. So even with TV time, with the amount of time he set on the timer, I just don't see how it's possible. So I'm I'm going with the you know the improbable survival. How about you, Caroline? Oh, gosh, I, I think he's so smart. I mean, and I think that they laid the groundwork with the panic room in the previous episodes to, to show us that, like, he is someone who would look for nooks and crannies in a building and would have some understanding of safe zones. And I, I noticed the same thing when the when he told the other guys to run away, like, safety's that way. And it was like a way and he ran the other way. I was like, OK, something I'm missing something here. Right. Almost like he had something to do. Mm hmm. With not a lot of time to do it. We knew where so. to go. One quick thing before we move to the epilogue, because I think I think that's the right place to go here. There was just a nice moment in the show bringing it back around. Uh, again, uh, not only having Shay and Paul be together again, which they really hadn't been by themselves on the road doing something since kind of earlier in the season. So I was happy to see them driving. I was happy to see that Shay did not let Paul drive initially. That they uh, yeah, and that she she brought up the concern that he could have another episode because that was a concern of yours in previous conversations where you were like, hey, the hell, why do they act like he can't just flip out every time? You were dead on about that. My fave about that scene was the total why do i have to sit in the little seat right. <laughs> so right. like cute. he was aware that he wasn't driving and it yes. annoyed him yeah i like that but i like the fact that he brought up bernard weiss which is how this all started mm -hmm. i like that the show buttoned it up and did the full circle again on an on a storyline they didn't really need to bring it back up again we had been watching all along but it was nice closure to the story that he brings up you know, next made one mistake, you, by choosing Bernard Weiss and you having, being his friend, it had no idea of what it was doing, what, what hell it was unleashing on itself by that. I thought it was a nice little bookend to the Paul Shea chemistry and dynamic that we got to enjoy all season. Well, and they kept the, um, the suspense of his hallucinations up till the moment that next texted him the Sri Lankan information. Up until that moment, I think it was fair to keep questioning whether or not he was talking on the phone to anybody. Yeah, because we had seen, I mean, we've seen him have a conversation with Next Before in the bunker when he has uh, the Council of Paul's episode and he <laughs> sees the kid like hang himself. That, that whole episode, remember, there's a there's a phone call with Next in that, uh, there's a conversation with Next in that episode. So this wasn't the first time we saw Next reach out, but yeah, so it was 50-50. Is this imagined? Is this real? Especially since we see imaginary Abby pop up in the back seat, it really does cast a doubt on it, but then he does get the text message on the, on the phone. So you guys, you watch watch action movies, you watch sci-fi movies. Well, how do we rate on a scale of one to 10 this explosion at the NSA? Okay, two things. We watch screeners, which aren't always done in terms of everything. Effects-wise, you know, it's not unusual for us to watch something that, you know, someone's driving a car and we see the green screen behind the car. Next hasn't been like that, but um, that explosion from like a VFX standpoint 
wasn't entirely convincing for me, but I'm picky about that kind of thing. You're right, because I have seen a lot of practical explosions and and uh, science fictiony explosions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the second point is, it was pretty big. It was a very large explosion, and it would have uh, would have done what they needed. It look at looked like it took out at least half the building. So I was actually pretty happy with it. They looked pretty completed. The the effects for me, I liked the scope of it. They said several times. They had no idea what the blast yield would be. And I like the fact that they went in, you, you hear all the time, on, especially in, in shows and movies, you hear all the time, oh, it's going to take out this precise amount of area. It's going to be a very precise kind of explosion. We've done the math. We've, you know, we've got our Bunsen burners and we've done our chemical balancing and weighing and we know exactly what's going to happen. These guys were kind of like, fuck it, throw it all together. Right. It is what it is. And, and I like that it was much larger than they probably expected it or needed it to be. They're like, I how mean, much they, bomb stuff do you want? How much bomb stuff you got? <laughs> Right, exactly. Put it all in there, you know, like as much as fits in, we can still close the doors. So I like that they had been clear about it being kind of, we don't know what the blast yield's going to be. I think Paul even says that to Next on the phone. He's like, we're about to fuck your day up real bad. We don't know how, I don't know how badly, but it's going to be pretty bad. You know, so I like that it seemed to consume a lot of, if not all of the building. I, I guess I'm, I'm an easy explosion guy. I thought it was pretty impressive. It kept going. It was like, it was it was like several somehow it was like several little fireballs of, of explosion were you convinced at all paul if the if next final speech to paul while he's setting the timer and the security guys are showing up he's doing this whole thing about he is only the first or next is i don't mean to gender next next is only the first there will be others after next and he this great quote of you'll want me you'll need me he says to Paul, is that convincing? Does that make sense? Is there is there is there a way where you see actually next is a useful tool to combating whatever people try to create as the next 2.0? I guess it makes a certain amount of sense. It's the it's the inevitability of the second machine that that is kind of the the downer that is definitely it's not wrong to have made that projection. It's because with only 19% of, that's like the same percent of people that believe we never went to the moon or something, or flatlanders or whatever you call Probably Venn diagram, probably a lot of overlay between those people. <laughs> also, yeah. Probably. That's uh, that, but that's still a potent amount of people, kind of an unbelievably high number of people that would have that belief. And so the concept that, that that's still such a majority that would be like, let's keep going, then... Like it said, inevitable that the second machine would come. I don't know about the part about needing the first machine. That's very action movie last line, you know, Hans Gruber's <laughs> sort of sort of rationale. But uh, the part about it, the second one, that's for real. You know, the inner circles we'll hear about next. We'll hear about Zava. He even says there there will be more Zavas along the way that come down the line. There will be other versions of me. That's right. I agree with you 100%. People are going to hear about next. People in the circle in the business are going to hear about next. And they're going to they're going to build off of that architecture and they're going to build the next version of it, right? Technology always moves forward, right? Is the doubling factor of computer chips, right? It's always like every generation is always half the size of what the thing was the generation before. 
and the computing power is like multiples over what it used to be. Technology is always pushing forward. That's just kind of humanity's thing. Since, since, since we've learned to kind of master technology or really not master technology, since we've learned to think we master technology, we're always pushing forward. So yes, there will be other nexts. I think it's next its own self-preservation arguing that you're gonna need me to fight whatever comes after me. Talk about enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think that kind of puts that really into question. But uh, yeah, what did you think of the final shot of the show? Of ne- I mean, we we called it. We've called it all along that the final shot of the show is going to be next coming on with some kind of blinking light coming back to life. And it was literally next booting up again was the very final shot of the show. I think that the idea that it's an ongoing threat forever and ever and ever and ever was always the message. And so you had to have that last scene, you know, because we we won the battle, but there's the war, you know, and I love that, that we had that time jump to sort of make things be a little bit more calm, like things are OK. And, and like you said, most people don't even believe that anything happened. Doesn't that kind of make you look back on history and be like, I wonder if there were other things that there was an incident, you know, and like just most people don't believe it was. And so we don't talk about it. There's always going to be another incident and we all just have to figure out like, was it next? There are a couple of messages I think to take away from the show. One is until humanity gets its shit together, it's always going to be its worst enemy inadvertently trying to destroy itself. Uh, by building things it can't control, by trying to master each other. You know, Shay says it in her interrogation scene in episode eight. She's like, you know, what is one when one stronger culture comes up against a weaker culture? What happens? Time immemorial. That's that's how what humanity is. And now we just have supercomputers that we're building. It's it's what Terrence Wilson was talking about. You know, we want to control next. We need next patriotically so we can make it the American millennium, not even American century, the American millennium, a thousand years of American domination based on us controlling next. That's scarily real to me, I think, in how humans really act or or at least a certain segment of humanity acts. Unfortunately, the ones who have the power reminds me of the watchman and like Dr. Manhattan, the uh, the whole argument, right, was. Dr. Manhattan and his alliance with America and why we needed him and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't sound kind of the same, just just kind of dated for the for the 80s. If you put next inside a big blue naked suit, you'd have Dr. <laughs> Manhattan, essentially. Very uh, true. Now I kind of wish that they had put a big naked blue suit on next. <laughs> That'd have been funny. That'd be very funny with like a little <laughs> a little bullseye on its next forehead, <laughs> where it's like USB slot goes or something. I keep I keep having this feeling that like you know one of the you said there's many messages. One of the feelings that I have is that you can kind of sort people into two different groups. Either they are busily trying to better themselves and specifically better control themselves, whether it's like their anxiety or whether it's controlling their their feelings or whatever the things are. It's like there's people who are driven and spend their life trying to improve themselves and how they function in the world. And then there's like a different group of people who spend their time trying to control others. And that includes inventing things to control. And it's it's interesting because I don't think those things cross paths very much. Like a Buddhist monk spends all his time trying to control his mind, body, soul versus, you know, the computer inventor over here who's like busily inventing something that they can control. It's interesting. I wonder how many times those things ever weave together. That's insightful shit, Caroline. Oh. I think there's a lot of stuff you could sit here and think about the real world. And again, this comes back to 
why next i think was a successful show and but maybe too much so also for 2020 was because there's so much here that when you think about it when you think about whether or not it's possible it's maybe all a little too possible this is the kind of show that definitely if you think about it too much is going to keep you up at night because you know humanity kind of sucks <laughs> you know or or or, or or a decent enough segment of humanity sucks because we haven't really progressed a beyond dominating one another. Our base instinct is too often to dominate instead of to help and lift each other up and love each other. It's it's kind of to conquer and trying to have, you know, the high ground, try to be the Obi-Wan to the Anakin. I, just a silly thing I wanted to point out. I don't know if you guys got a good Zoom look in at Ethan's report card that he holds up to the glass in uh, well, when his mom's in jail and they have their visit. What did it say? Well, you know, so it was a third quarter marking period uh, report card. The kid pulls mostly A's and B's, and in the third quarter had pulled only A's. So the last six months or so, you know, Ethan's really gotten his shit together in school. Um, but he did have in the first quarter, he had pulled a C in geography and citizenship. Um, he had since turned them into A's, but those were the only two C's on his report card. Otherwise, they were all A's and B's, all three marking periods. So I thought that was kind of funny that the show, like, you know, kind of dinged him on citizenship and geography. Maybe he didn't know where Honduras was in the first quarter of the of the school year, but now he does. Maybe he doesn't know where Truckee, California is, but now he does. He Think has of done a lot of traveling. He do, has done a lot of traveling. <laughs> he really so knows Oregon pretty well now. For sure. And the other thing I wanted to note from this is he allegedly attends Anna Brown Elementary School as part of the Portland public school system. That's like on the little crest at the top of the report card. And in my looking through things, there is actually a longtime serving district judge in uh, the federal district court for the District of Oregon. And she is a born, lived in Portland her entire life, judge named Anna Yeager Brown. The show doing a little hat tip, I think, to Justice Brown. So I thought that was like another little a little head nod that I appreciated. So. This show has got layers. I've said it from the beginning. There's layers, people. It's like it's an, an onion. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like an Both an ogre and an onion, yes. It's like a parfait. I love a good parfait. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody gonna turn down a parfait. <laughs> so overall mike and caroline yeah if you were just trolling around on facebook and we are still experiencing quarantine related shit and you see inevitably a person saying i've watched everything give me something new to watch would you tell that person to go turn on next a hundred percent without reservation i thought this was 10 solid hours of television, especially for network television. I think this show had a vision. I think it accomplished that vision. I think maybe it's a lot for people, some people to maybe handle in a pandemic, but I feel like we've reached a point where we've been living with it for so long that the scarier parts of next that seem a little too close to home, I think are more palatable now. Yeah, I would, without reservation, recommend the show. I would also recommend the show. I think that it's something that you could dive in and really think hard about and do your own like conspiracy theory research and try to see like other incidences where people thought, you know, God, was this some sort of AI infiltration, some other point in 
in our history here. I don't know. It'd be fun to kind of fool around with. Or if you just want to kick back and watch Slattery be smooth and cool and, you know, just perfection, I think the show has that as well. So yeah, I would absolutely tell people to watch. I think a thing that separates this show from your average apocalyptic show or your average sci-fi show or your average tech thriller show is that it had a lot of family heart to it that never felt forced. It never felt shoehorned in. Manny and his writers baked in a, a consistent family line that threaded throughout the series and was kind of baked into the DNA of the series. And I appreciated that because I thought it I thought it helped distinguish it from other shows maybe in the genre. And people crave when they ask that question, they never want a show that doesn't have an ending. And this show, it has a couple of hooks that could have been used for season two, but more or less, it's a complete story that finishes everything and you know shay's still in jail but it's not a closed book that she's there forever and ethan and ty are there right she hasn't lost them they're not actually in new zealand with abby living a new life with new mom they came home with abuela presumably maybe abuela stayed in new zealand but they didn't run off with abby and begin this new life they came home to her they seem like they're in as good a place as they can be with her being in jail i'd recommend it for for those people i'd probably say there's kind of a little bit of a sci-fi edge to it but it's more grounded in right now than most sci-fi there are no spaceships or aliens or anything like that so if you can deal with that then you're okay and, and the complete season aspect of it the 10 episode digestible nature of it like here we got everything that we needed in one go and and it was good in the end this is a rare a rare show that is giving you a, a 10 episode season that actually tells a complete story that yes there are threads there for a second season but certainly doesn't leave you hanging in a way that makes you want to go you know track someone down and, and say what were you gonna do what was gonna happen i, I think i think it really told a, a really coherent 10 episode story which i give it a lot of credit for because most shows don't do that especially with only 10 episodes you know in seasons where there's been more new content there, it's not unheard of for a show canceled so early to just finish their run online just watch it on the app or whatever the the statement is fox could have easily burned this off online they could have burned it off on saturdays i'm happy that they let us see all 10 episodes that they let the fans watch all 10 episodes i wish they had waited until the election coverage and after the world series because i think the show would have taken off better and gotten more viewers to it in a loyal way had it aired uninterrupted and aired a little bit later. Shit. I mean, after the announcement of the vaccine might have been the, the difference. There's more stability in the country now or more feeling of stability in the country now than there was in October when this began airing or late September when this began airing. I think just that two and a half month period together with an uninterrupted run, I think we'd maybe be staring at season two for the show that and that's not on the show that's on network decisions that we have no control over but that's my wish for the show if i could go back and redo something that's the thing i would change not the show itself more how it was presented to us Guys, that brings us to the end of our conversations with Eliza. We're bashing Eliza in the head and throwing her in the trash. No more conversations with her. Uh, but we are not actually done with the podcast because I hope you come back and join us for our conversation with Manny Cotto. We're going to wrap up the series with him. We're going to wrap up the season with him. We're going to wrap up the story. Maybe find out what he would have done in season two if he's willing to talk to us a little bit about it. Yeah, so we hope you come back and join us. I think it's going to be a great conversation. This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Eliza. Please remember to go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. 
Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.